Should we go electric? I think we should go electrified with Toyota. Electrified? Electrified means options. So electrified looks different for everyone. Yup, and with more options for reducing carbon emissions, Toyota is electrified diversified. Learn more about our Beyond Zero vision for the future at toyota.com slash beyondzero. Should we go electric? I think we should go electrified with Toyota. Electrified? Electrified means options. So electrified looks different for everyone. Yup, and with more options for reducing carbon emissions, Toyota is electrified diversified. Learn more about our Beyond Zero vision for the future at toyota.com slash beyondzero. You just told the whole world <laughs> all your secrets. So how do you feel at the end of this, this whole ride you took? <laughs> Everything I've said about my life, I can defend it. Like, I'm comfortable with the parts of myself that I've decided to share. Mm-hmm. I'm okay with it. I'm Hannah Rosen. This is Radio Atlantic. And that is Janisha Watts a senior editor at The Atlantic who just did a risky thing, which is write a cover story about her family and their secrets. And she did it because when Janisha was making her way in journalism, she never met anyone with a background like hers. No one who grew up like her or talked like her. Now, Janisha found her own ways to fit in. She just kept moving forward. Until by her 30s, she was a really long way from where she started. And then Janisha reached a point that people reach sometimes where being so far from home doesn't feel right anymore. It feels closer to avoidance, maybe even lying. So Janisha, the journalist, used her reporter skills to go back and learn more about Janisha from Kentucky. She found a lot of stuff she didn't know. From her grandma, who she lived with starting in fifth grade, her brother, Colby, who she was separated from when they were kids, and her mom, who struggled nearly her whole life with addiction. Janisha calls her Trina. I'm about to record you. You hear me? (coughs) I'm recording you. Okay, all right. Say your name. Trina Renee Watt. Born October 16, 1965. I'm looking to my past, accepting mm-hmm. where I come from and who I come from mm-hmm. and who's, like, people I am mm-hmm. and being okay with that. Journalism is so elite, very white male-dominated, even from, like, the beginning. And I think being a black woman in these very white spaces, like, you don't want to have, like, those kind of, like, sad, sappy kind of stories. I, mean, I don't mm-hmm. know if that makes sense. Totally. But it's just, yeah. it's, I think it's just more of, who can be a writer and who can identify with being a writer. Katrina, I don't want this cigarette smoke on me. Oh, shit. I can't smoke. Open the door. No. I, mm. It's not normally people that that's like me. It's people that come from families of, like, scholars or, you know, parents who were in academia mm-hmm. or, you know, read them books every, every night when they were kids. It's mm-hmm. not, like, you don't hear, like, my kind of stories. Let's go back to the beginning. So I looked up, I had the birth certificate. I was born. Okay. So you had me. Mm-hmm. Janisha, Jashay, Jacoby. I named her. When I listen, it's a daughter talking to her mom, but it almost comes across as like an interrogation or something. What are you trying to get from her? What I'm trying to get is just the truth 
as much as the truth. And are you trying to get the truth because your mom and other family members are hiding something or, like, whitewashing something, and you're just trying to pull it out? I definitely think that when when people not, they know they've been interviewed, they do try to, like, dress it up. <laughs> so I think a lot of times, like, when I'm talking to them, I just want them to just try to tell me without, like, try to, like, make it pretty. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like when my grandmother talks about, um, you don't want to open a can of worms. But I'm, I think, like, eventually you do just have to open a can of worms and just see what happens. Mm-hmm. And I think I just wanted to just, like, just get it all out so I can just move on from it. When you were little, you and your siblings lived with your mom at first? Mm-hmm. What did your mom's house look like? Was it an apartment? What did it look like? Yeah, it was, it was an apartment. It was just bare, just like a basic apartment with like a... A single mom, like, trying to raise a, her four or five kids. Kobe, what, how, what was it like? Like, was it a crack house? I, I didn't know what a crack house was, but now that I know what one is, yeah. That's your brother? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he's your little brother? Yeah, he's the third kid. I remember the old TV we had that went to sit on the ground. Remember the old TV? Mm-mm. Oh, yeah, yeah, I think I do, yeah. I remember that TV because I remember dopes sitting on top of that TV one time. Really? Yeah. Oh, wow. And when you and Colby were talking about the house, did you remember it the same way? Yeah, pretty much. And did you feel always unsafe? As a kid, I don't think I felt unsafe. I don't think it was, it was just what we knew. When did you start using drugs? The guy lived downstairs. He had came up for one thing. And he had a, a glass pot. Back then, they had bowls and everything. And he had one. And I was like, what, what is that? You know. And he said, here, he said, try it. So, and I did. It ain't his fault, but he, he's the first one to introduce me to the drug. There's been so much thinking about the crack epidemic and how it happened and how crack ended up on the streets and whose fault it was. And I was wondering, is there any part of you that thinks of Trina as a victim? I I think that it's hard to step outside of it and look at it in in a very, through a wider lens when you've been so close to it your entire life. So I think that's why I think of a scholar or, you know, uh, someone that's detached from it, but totally look at her as a victim. But not her daughter. Yeah. But me, it's just, it's just too personal for me. Why at this moment do you need to press your family and make them tell the truth about hard things? I said, I'm a mom now. I always like joke with my friends about like, I hate making it about the mom thing. But it is like, I think when I became a mom, it's just, you know, at first you can understand like addiction. You can kind of get why people are addicted and you can have empathy. You remember ever leaving us? Because yeah, I do. Like yeah. what? I remember like just, you know, leaving and staying gone for a long, long I, You know, that's real depressing. I don't want to talk about it. But hold on. You got, I, I know it's depressing, but it's, you got to tell the story. So what? So when, when did you leave us? Then when you become a mom and you have a child and you love your child, like you just can't wrap your head around leaving your kid. Tell me, like, what, when do you, what you remember about when you left us? 
It wasn't like I intentionally tried to do it. I just, you know, went and then, you know, there I was getting high. But, you know, I didn't know that I was hurting so many people. I didn't know. I just thought it was just me. But now I know that I have hurt, you know, I hurt my children. They tell me, you know what I'm saying, how they hate me and... Yeah, but it's up, Trina. <laughs> yeah, you gotta get it out. I'm sorry. You gotta get it out. Yeah, that looks so sad. It's so sad. Like, why? You know, Trina, why? And I said, ain't gonna do it no more, but I turned around and just let the drug take over me and did it again. I don't like seeing her break down like that. Yeah. And like how I feel like I have, because I wanted, like she was crying and I did, I kind of, I wanted to cry too, but I was just like, no, I'm not, I'm just not going to get mad. It's just like, mm-hmm. wow, like she does, she won't ever know what it's like to mother someone. But the thing I don't you understand, know, make me understand this, is that, because you've had kids, because now that I'm a mom, yeah, I, I can't kids. like... My son, I just like being around my son, but like having kids wasn't enough. Like having us wasn't enough. When you're single, you can be whoever you want to be. Like you can go out in the world and pretend to be who you want to be. But I think that's harder when you have a kid because like the kid is connected to a lineage and it just brings up all kinds of stuff. Yeah, but I want to always kind of be upfront with my son because now that I have his human to take care of and like guide you know I don't want to be the kind of mother like some people that I know like they have secrets and just carrying that that stuff like that that bitterness you know like just or the pain a lot of it too is just me of like wanting to be able to like purely mother him I don't know if that's possible mm-hmm. but but just not carry so much not put so much on him you know because of like how my mom was you know, if he asked me about my life, I would just be able to talk about it in a very free, detached way. Was the drugs just that powerful? The drugs just powerful. Yeah, the drugs, you know, they just, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, back then, yes. My mom's an addict. She still is sometimes, you know, off and on. And it's just not going to change. Like, I can't change it. Like, as much as I want it, to, you know, go back in time and, like, make her a mother. Like, it's just, like, impossible. It's what it is. This is who she is. For years, I've just had, like, a lot of anger towards her, too. Mm-hmm. And I think now it's just, you know, kind of, like, leveling out and just, you know, you kind of have to push through. Does your son look like anyone in your family? I... <laughs> I think I'm starting to think he looks like my sister's son. Mm-hmm. I was looking at photos of him like a couple of days. My my youngest sister Ebony, her son. I think they kind of resemble. And then my brother Aaron claims that he looks like him. Was there ever a time you were playing with him and you were like, you saw like a flash of Watts? Like, yeah, I do. his last name is Ose, <laughs> which is your husband's last name. But he it's has not- some of the Watts personality. Mm-hmm. And what I mean by that is just like he's just kind of like his own person, and he just he's. He just does things just off impulse. Coming. 
you remember um, trying to eat um, when we didn't have food, trying to eat um, the cranberries? Mm-hmm. The free lunch truck. Oh, you remember the free lunch truck? Mm-hmm. What you remember at the free lunch truck? Pie cake, but hot dogs, Kool-Aid, noodles, sandwich chips. Yeah, it was like chocolate milk, right? Yeah. I was in the fifth grade, and that's when I found out the state took all my siblings. And then I was living with my granny. And is that kind of what started you down a different path than they, than your siblings? Yeah, so when I moved, we moved to a different um, house in, in the suburbs, and then I, she enrolled me into like a magnet school in the sixth grade. And my sister was living in, still living in her projects with an aunt. And then the other siblings, like, you know, they were living with different people. And then that's when my life, yeah. I had my own room, own telephone, television, CD player, <laughs> everything. Mm-hmm. And had, like, transportation, had a car. Like, she had a, she had different cars, and we would go on vac— Like, she'd take me on vacations and spring breaks. And I know your siblings, they kind of got into some bad stuff and had yeah. some hard times. Do you think when you were talking to them, you are trying to figure out something about yourself, like— why did I have this kind of life? And they didn't. Like, was it their circumstances? Was it personalities? Like, is that part of why you needed to talk to them? Yeah, I think so. Just seeing how... Because I do ask myself that a lot. Like, why me? I do. I really do. And I, I and I think talking to them helps. Mm-hmm. Like, making some of that clear. But Kobe, like, why, how do you think, like, why do you think I got up? Like, like the other ones are here. Like, what, what, what do you think made me different? Uh, I don't know. I can't explain it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you was thinking forward, not as a kid. Like, you was just thinking, thinking, thinking. You think so? Yeah, I, 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 I love you, too. Says, you know, I'm proud of you, man. Yeah, for yeah, what? But just for, for, for making it. Yeah, somebody had to make it. You made it. You're good. Why do you think I made it, though? You know, you being around here longer, you know? So, yeah. So, of course, you don't want to get away. I'm just too busy trying to come home. He says, of course, you want to get away. I was too busy trying to come home. That just, like, really sticks with me. I know, yeah. What do you think he, he means by that? I think that with him, because he wasn't in Lexington, like he t- told me in the past, he knew that when he turned 18, he was going to come back home, and it was just going to be all great and glory. It was just like him always trying to get back home, just, like, chasing the, the mother he loved that he just never received as a kid. It's just hearing that, it's like the two of you were going in opposite directions. Yeah, that was, yeah. Yeah. So Kobe's going through a lot of stuff, and your siblings are scattered. And, I mean, you are—you're having this kind of stable life with your grandmother. Like, she's helping you focus on school and focus on a future. Do you think of your grandmother as, like, the savior of this story? I think it's really complicated. So it's weird. So, like, my mom—like, I know that my mom loves me. 
I know that she loves me unconditionally. Where my grandmother, she's provided for me, and I'm, like, grateful. But I wouldn't say that she's always 100% treated me like how a mom should treat a child. If like, some, for example, my grandmother, um, when I got married, you know, she was at the wedding, and then she left. When I was at the reception, I was, like, looking for my grandmother, and she left. And I just remember just being, like, really sad by that. Because, like, she, yeah, I've always looked at her more as, like, my mom. And she'll tell people all the time, like, I raised her, I raised her. But I'm like, but Granny, you didn't, you know, you never visited me in New York. Mm-hmm. I mean, you was in New York for, for a Broadway play. You didn't, you didn't visit me. Like, so, I don't know. I, I think she just, I think because I'm my mom's child. I mean, maybe that's what it is. I don't know. Can you tell me that story of how you made it to New York? I actually caught the Greyhound to New York City. Like the very cliche, typical way of like going to New York City. Janisha has her New York adventure and then realizes you can only escape the past for so long. I need to talk to you right now. It's just like I found some stuff. That's after the break. Janisha, you leave behind your granny, your mom, your siblings, everything and everybody in Kentucky. Tell me the story of how you made it in New York. Like, when did— So, it was after college. So, I interned in Essence, like, the year before I was before I graduated from um, University of Kentucky. So, I was, uh-huh. in, you know, I was in the University of Kentucky. After I graduated, I kept emailing my old editor, like, trying to see if they had any work. And I don't think she realized that— I was still in Kentucky. She emailed me like in August and was like, oh, we have this position. It's a freelance position. It's available for a month. It's like $10 an hour and I can start that Monday. But I don't think she realized, again, like I was in Kentucky. So then I like packed up like a few things, put them in um, my suitcase. Right now I'm sitting just across from the chair that you sat in so many days and nights and evenings and mornings. And Miss Brown, Miss Brown, asking me a thousand questions. <laughs> Sometimes I was just like, okay, Janisha, that's enough. A couple months later, I ended up living with this literary agent. Uh, her name was Bree Brown, and she lived in Harlem, so I lived in her brownstone. Mm-hmm. And um, she, she was. She was actually the person who, like, you know, taught me how to be, like, how how to be among these people. When you say these people, <laughs> who are these people? <laughs> yeah. I, I, yeah. When I say these people, what I mean is just the people that I kind of wanted to aspire to be. So I would say, like, more of the the elite black people, the, the well-read black people, the people, the Jack and Jill black people. I guess that's what I call them. So that's what I meant when I said those people. And what were you noticing about them that was different from you? In in my mind, like, I romanticized, you know, the, the children that grew up with, like, both their parents who taught them how to eat at a table and, you know, how to be in corporate America. People had, like, clean fingernails, but just, like, just... In some ways, like, politician's wife or a politician. Maybe the Obamas, like, the quintessential, like, black people. I'm trying to imagine Janisha from Kentucky looking up at these people. I mean, did you—what was—did you just feel really far away? Were you like, how am I going to cross this gap? Like, how am I going to make it to the other side? 
Yeah, because I, I, I do remember, like, sometimes just listening to people talk, and I'm just like, wow, how can someone just talk that clear without just tripping up or just, mm-hmm. you know, just randomly saying just big words without, you know, just being so confident? I think the biggest thing to me was just, like, the confidence. It was just, like, even people who, in my mind, who's, like, basic, had, like, confidence of, like, Beyonce. And I'm just like, dang, I want that kind of confidence. I think I do remember, too, when I walked in the Brownstone house, I was um, Ed Bradley and James, in the James Baldwin books. And out of my head, I was like, yeah, I want to I live here. <laughs> right. It strikes a chord, you know, with mm-hmm. particularly young black people. But just this recent weekend, I had, you know, a couple of young white people here. And they were just enamored with, you know, the house, you know, the books, the photos, the art, the plants, all of that. When I stayed in Miss Brown's house, like I'll pick up a piece of bread and she's like, Janisha, just you when you pick you have the you pull it like a piece at one time, not like just pick the whole piece in your mouth. Or when I'm trying to eat some soup, she'll say like just take the soup and just put it to your mouth and like slow down. She would always like give me advice on how to kinda like move in those circles. How did that, that's amazing, because that might be insulting. Like, you might have been, like, how come that all worked smoothly? No, it didn't. I mean, sometimes I was annoyed, but I I trusted her because, I mean, she, she, one, she was a book person. She knew everything. She's probably, like, one of the smartest people I've ever met. Mm -hmm. Like, she had so many books in her house, and Mm -hmm. she can talk to you about, like, almost any subject. She would ask the questions, and, you know, from experience in life, you know, I knew that the answers for some of them or the exposure that you needed, they it was in these books and magazines and newspapers. And I think, too, like, she was like a mother figure, and I lived with her, and I, I know that she cared about me. So mm-hmm. she was just always just trying to, like, help me and, like, make me better. But yeah, some days it was annoying because I'm just like, I would think that, you know, I'm saying a word the right way. And she's like, no, it's not how you say it. Mm-hmm. And, or she's like, say it again. And I'm just like, gee, like, wow. just going back and forth. Well, your favorite thing was like, Janisha, quit going back to Kentucky. <laughs> yeah, right. Kentucky, that's what he would say. Quit being Kentucky. Yeah, uh, yeah. Now, you tell me now, looking back on that statement, what did you think I was saying when I said, okay, Janisha, you being Kentucky now in, in your thinking, what was that? I think you meant like, I was like slipping back into like this negative victim-like kind of mentality. Excellent. Yay. Like I had one friend, um, her mom was a doctor and then her dad worked on Wall Street. And we had another friend who was in a group, and she graduated from, I think, either Yale or Harvard. And then when you, like, were with people, did you just, like, fake it a little bit or, you know, try it? Like, what did, how did you? I, a lot of times it was just like I would just agree mm-hmm. or the same type of drink. They all, like, talked about going to private school. So then, like, when, when I have conversations with them, I'll say, oh, yeah, I attended private school, too. But it was, so it was just, like, me, like, kind of fitting in with them or... Maybe they'd talk about their parents, and I'd be like, oh, yeah, my parents, but, you know, they divorced, but, like, they was never married. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, so stuff like that. Sometimes it was intentional. I think sometimes it was just, like, me quickly just trying to, like, just fit in. Like, I've always wanted to kind of, like, be that, you know, belong in, that, in, that, in a way like that, if that makes sense. Yeah, all yeah. of it makes total sense.
we need to talk about your grandmother. I mean, to this day, like, I've been, I I care so much about what she thinks. Mm -hmm. You know, like, I've always looked at her more as, like, my mom. And at one point I did, I used to call her mom. But she, you know, told me, she's like, I'm not your mom. But, yeah, like, my grandmother. I mean, she seems like she has the most, I don't know, like, pull for you or something? Yeah, she does. Yeah. She does. Mm -hmm. You know, like, she can be, say, hurtful stuff to me. She can not, she can just do a lot of stuff to me. And I was still, like give her second and third and fifth chances. You told me that it was hard to get your granny on the phone to talk about this project. How did that go? So my my grandmother kept scheduling times, different times that she would talk to me, and then she would just flake out. So, like, when I was in Kentucky, she was like, oh, okay, like, come to the house, and I'll, you know, I'll we'll do the interview, and I would get there, and then she had to go somewhere, and then she was like, okay, well, call me when you're at the airport, and then I call at the airport, and she didn't pick up, or then she'll say, okay, well, I'll call me back in 30 minutes, and then I wouldn't hear back from her. So it was just more of, like, a lot of different, like, phone tag and dancing around. Why do you think that was? I think it's because if she knows that Trina's involved in it, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be truthful. She's not going to hold back. Trina says that my grandmother's um, first husband uh, raped her when she was a teenager. That's been something that she's always said. Mm-hmm. The rape was reported in the local newspaper, and he was arrested, but he never went to trial. Mm. The rape stuff was the hardest thing for me to talk about with mm-hmm. my grandmother. Mm-hmm. Because? She's, she's so clear on, on what happened and has a different version. My granny says she called the police right away. And I feel like talking about the rape in some ways is like me picking a side between my granny and Trina. But really, I don't have any side. Mm -hmm. I just hate the fact that the person accused was married to my grandmother. It was just so connected. So in your mind, you're telling Trina's version, you're telling your granny's version, and you can't tell the version of the person who's accused of this because he's now dead. So, like, you're not coming down on one side or another. I'm just telling the story. You just got to tell the story. So, like, my grandmother, like, she's always had, she's just always been put together. Mm-hmm. She's always been put together. Like, she's always worked hard. She owned different homes, cars. So I think for her is that when she looks at Trina, she's everything that she's not. And I think it just, like, it probably infuriates her. Uh-huh. It's weird, like, because even, like, when I was going to interview her, I still get, like, scared to ask questions. And I don't, I think, that's, maybe that's my addiction is, like, my grandmother's approval. Like, I know how uncomfortable it's to make her, but I also know how unhappy she'll be with me. Your granny is this person who has this hold on you, like, Maybe you're even a little bit afraid of her. And she's the same person who doesn't want you or anyone to be talking about all this stuff. She's very private and proud. She doesn't want people to know all her. Like, uh, what she would say, her dirty laundry, or open up at Cannon Worms. Because even now, it just makes me feel icky, like, just knowing that I'm about to, like, betray her in ways that, like, I'm just, I'm scared. <laughs> like, yeah. I really am. Hi. 
Okay, you hear me? I'm recording the call now. She was like, I'll call me tomorrow on your lunch break. I said, no, I need to talk to you right now. It's just like I found some stuff. So the thing is, I was doing some research, and the researcher found this um, document. It was a case in 1988. It was sealed. So this is the thing. This is what freaked me out. So they didn't. So it said that the defendant had sexual contact with J.W., a person less than 12 years old. I mean, I don't remember any of this. And then it said it was a granddaughter. It was his granddaughter. And she was three in 1988. I remember you calling me right after you talked to your grandmother. And you were, like, in a different frame of mind. Yep. That's right there, plain as day. It was a a case, a legal case. And then I was thinking it was it was around my mom's rape, uh-huh. and it said his granddaughter. I'm his. I'm the only one with those initials. I'm the only one that would have been at that age around that time. Oh my god! And I said, I show like it's. I mean, it's not like it's some another William Dishman. It's the same one, you know. And it's also like you basically having the same experience your mother had. Yeah, but I was three years old. He, I basically he was doing stuff to me in the car. And I guess no one saw cases dismissed. But that's my initials, and it's the same age I was that year. And, I was, and it was crazy because I, they saw my initials. And I, it's just like, when I listened to the audio, I think at that moment, I was just in this... I was in a high as, as like being a journalist has discovered this information and separate from Janisha, the person. And I think like maybe a couple of days later, it just hit me that, you know, it was about possibly like a three-year-old me, a three-year-old JW. It just makes my stomach have knots in it. Yeah. I think I know what you mean when you're in journalist mode, you get that, like, I found a document, I got to the truth, and I'm going to confront this person with the truth. Yep. Both Trina and my grandmother were just like, no, it, it would just, it, it never happened. Like, I don't, maybe it was a different JW. Like, we, they was just very adamant that, like, they don't remember that. They don't know where I got that from. I want to say, like, my grandmother and Trina's in denial, but I also just want to believe them. I want to believe maybe they just genuinely don't know. Yeah, But I'm like, someone out there knows because someone filed a police report and then it got dismissed. Yeah. I mean, as I, maybe too, because I'm a mom, but like, I, it's just some things I can't, like, I don't read about with kids. If something happens to a kid or if I see a child in need, it just, it breaks me. Mm. And I think, like, three, just something, the fact that this, this kid was three years old, I, I it just just does something inside of me. I just, I don't know. I I mean, maybe this whole project, I thought, okay, you're getting to the heart of the thing, like this, you're, you're trying to clear the air, like, but you're not ready for this one yet. I never imagined in a million years that I would ever find something like that. Yeah. Not with me. I think the other thing, because I'm like, okay, 
We don't know for sure what happened to three-year-old Janisha, but at least for that three-year-old JW, like you can just speak up for them. You can tell their story. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the way that I can try to come to terms with it. But I don't know. It's just not something I, I, don't, I haven't accepted it yet. Maybe it's naive on everyone's part to think like, well, I'm going to go on this journey. It's going to get all wrapped up mm-hmm. and I'll be done now. Like yeah. the story's out. I talked about it. Move on with my life. Like when does anything ever work that way? I know. Yeah. It's like life is just always the gray. Yeah. Yeah. This episode of Radio Atlantic was produced by Jocelyn Frank and edited by Claudina Bade. It was engineered by Rob Smirsiak and fact-checked by Michelle Soraka. The managing editor of Atlantic Audio is Andrea Valdez. If you or someone you know are looking for support, please call the National Sexual Assault Hotline at 1-800-656-4673. Also, to read Janisha's full story, please visit theatlantic.com. I'm Hannah Rosen, and we'll be back with new episodes every Thursday.